الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد تليبا باب ما جاء في قول الله تعالى إن رحمة الله قريب من المحسنين وإنديد the mercy of Allah is close to the محسنون those who are upon إحسان who are upon righteousness those who are upon a high level of إيمان the محسنون so then he mentions قال حدثنا موسى ابن إسماعيل قال حدثنا عبد الواحد قال حدثنا عاصم عن ابي عثمان عن اسامه قال كان ابن لبعض بنات النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم يقضي فارسلت اليه ان ياتيها فارسل ان لله ما اخذ وله ما اعطى وكل الى اجل مسمى فلتصبر ولتحتسب فارسلت اليه فاقسمت عليه فقام رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وقمت معه ومعاذ بن جبل وابي بن كعب وعباده بن صامت فلما دخلنا ناولوا رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم الصبي ونفسه تقلقل في صدره حسبته قال كأنها شنة فبكى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال سعد بن عبادة أتبكي فقال إنما يرحم الله من عباده الرحماء This hadith Who can tell us something about it? What can you tell us about it regarding our study so far? Now we did this hadith already once before and this is what they mean when they say Al-Imam Al-Bukhari puts the ahadith in different places. Previously it was in a different chapter. This time now it's in this other chapter. He puts the ahadith in the places that they are relevant. And sometimes he may not even quote the full hadith. He may only quote the section of the hadith that is required for that particular chapter. So here it's under the chapter regarding the mercy of Allah. And the hadith is the one that we covered last time about how one of the grandsons of the Prophet ﷺ was passing away. He was on his deathbed. So the daughter of the Prophet ﷺ sought that he should come. Initially he didn't come, but then she uh, insisted upon him coming. And then he came. And so that child was passed over to the Prophet ﷺ. 
and he cried. The Prophet ﷺ cried. So then Sa'id ibn Ubadah said to him, Are you crying? So the Prophet ﷺ replied, Innama yarhamullahu min ibadihi ruhama. That indeed Allah has mercy upon those from his servants who are merciful. Allah has mercy upon those from his servants who are merciful. And there is another similar narration on another occasion when the Prophet ﷺ cried and they said to him, you're crying. And he said, that is mercy that Allah places in the hearts of his servants. The next narration here in the same chapter, قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عُبَيْدُ اللَّهِ إِبْنُ سَعِدِ بْنَ إِبْرَاهِيمِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا يَعْقُوبِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا أَبِي عَنْ صَالِحِ بْنِ كَيْسَانِ عَنِ الْأَعْرَجِ عَنَ بِهُرَيْرَةَ عَنِ النَّبِيِّ صلى الله عليه وسلم قال اختصمت الجنة والنار إلى ربهما that the hellfire or the paradise and the hellfire they argued or they complained or they argued or disputed uh, before their Lord. فَقَالَتِ الْجَنَّةِ So Paradise said, يَا رَبِّ مَا لَهَا لَا يَدْخُلُهَا إِلَّا ضُعَفَاءُ النَّاسِ وَسَقَطُوهُمْ وَقَالَتِ النَّارِ يَعْنِي أُوثِرْتُ بِالْمُتَكَبِّرِينَ فَقَالَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى لِلْجَنَّةِ أَنْتِ رَحْمَتِي وَقَالَ لِلنَّارِ أَنْتِ عَذَابِي أُصِيبُ بِكِ مَنْ أَشَاءَ وَلِكُلِّ وَاحِدَةٍ مِنْكُمَا مِلْؤُهَا قال فأما الجنة فإن الله لا يظلم من خلقه أحدا وأنه ينشئ للنار من يشاء فيلقون فيها فتقول هل من مزيد ثلاثا حتى يضع فيها قدمه فتمتلئ ويرد بعضها إلى بعض وتقول قط 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 In this narration which we also came across before once the narration regarding paradise and hellfire disputing before their Lord and the paradise saying that it is only the weak and the low people who enter paradise and the hellfire has been preferred or has been given all of these arrogant and high types of people so Allah says to paradise, you are my mercy. And Allah says to the hellfire, you are my punishment. And I inflict upon whom I will with you, with the hellfire. And for each one, for paradise and for hell, there will be its fill. So as for paradise, then Allah will not oppress anyone from the creation. And as for the fire, then Allah will place into it whom He wills. فتقول, and then the fire will say, هَلْ مِنْ مَزِيدٍ Are there any more? Three times. Are there more? Are there more? Until Allah places His foot into the fire. And it is filled 
And so then it says, enough, enough, enough. This narration again, the key point is the fact that Allah says regarding paradise, you are my mercy. So both of these narrations are highlighting the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is the purpose of this particular chapter. We've said before that the mercy of Allah is of two types in terms of the fact that there is a created and an uncreated type and similarly that there is a general mercy and there is a specific mercy what would it mean that there is a created mercy of Allah? So that is the same answer that the created mercy is the mercy we see and experience here but is that not from the attribute of Allah of mercy and the attributes of Allah are not created so what could it be created mercy the mercy of the mother to a child that's all here and the same answer as the other two so far we just came across it paradise is it created or not created and here it mentions Allah says you are my mercy so that could be an example and the other type of course the attribute of Allah which is not created general mercy and specific mercy general mercy of Allah as in this creation the general mercy of Allah throughout the creation even the kuffar have a degree of that they have food, they have water, they have air to breathe, clothes, homes that is the general mercy of Allah upon creation then the specific mercy of Allah is what? the specific mercy of Allah is for the believers that Allah guides them and then enters them into paradise As for the people of innovation, when it comes to this issue of the mercy of Allah, when it comes to this issue of the mercy of Allah, some of them, many of them, distort and alter when the meanings of the attributes of Allah. So when it comes to mercy as well, they say that the meaning of the mercy of Allah is simply the reward Allah is going to give. It is simply min thawab wa in'am that which compounds upon the mercy in terms of the reward. The mercy of Allah, it just means Allah is going to reward the creation so they say that the meaning of the ayah inna rahmatallahi qareebun min al-muhsineen that or this ayah when it says that the mercy of Allah is close to the muhsineen to those in the higher levels of iman 
the mercy of Allah is close to the believers, then the ayah, it is an encouragement for us to be from the muhsineen. The fact that Allah is telling us the mercy of Allah is close to the muhsineen. Inna rahmatallahi qareebun min al-muhsineen then it is an encouragement for all of us to be from the muhsineen fiha al-hathu ala al-ihsan wa annahu kullama kana al-insan akthar ihsanan kana aqrabu ila ila rahmatillahi azza wa jal liannahu yakunu rahiman bidhalik wallahu ta'ala yirhamu min ibadihi ar-rahma so the more a person is upon ihsan and from the muhsineen, then the closer he will be to the, to the mercy of Allah. And what is ihsan? Nobody knows what ihsan is. So in the hadith of Jibreel, it mentions that ihsan an ta'bud Allah ka'annaka tarah fa'in lam takun tarahu fa'innahu yarak that you worship Allah as though you see him but of course you do not but know that indeed Allah sees you and that's why they say you have the level of the Muslim then you have the level of the mu'min and then you have the level of the muhsin at the top the highest level of the Iman, the Muhsinun, those who are upon the righteousness and they abandon the evil and the haram, they abandon even the makruhat and they abandon even often the mubah, things which are allowed, neither this nor that, they don't even get involved in that. They are upon the wajibat and the mustahabbat and they spend all of their time upon that. If they make error, then they are quick to return back Quick to return back to do what? To seek forgiveness and ask for Allah's mercy. They are the muhsinun. ثُمَّ ذَكَرَ حَدِيثَ الصَّبِي الَّذِي لِإِحْدَى بَنَاتِ الرَّسُولِ صلى الله عليه وسلم وتقدم الكلام عليه ثم ذكر حديث بهريرة وفيه بحث. So the first hadith when the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم was given that grandchild and he cried, that narration we already covered before. Then after that comes this narration about paradise and hell, whereby it is mentioned regarding them that they disputed over an affair, regarding the people who go into them, and that paradise is saying it's all the weak people, the, the, the lowly people in me, and the hellfire has the haughty ones in it, and then it's mentioned that Allah says to paradise, you are my mercy. And that is an example of a created mercy. That Allah has created the paradise. وَفِي الْحَدِيثِ أَنَّ اللَّهَ قَالَ لِلْجَنَّةِ أَنْتِ رَحْمَتِي وَقَوْلُهُ وَقَالَ لِلنَّارِ أَنْتِ عَذَابِي أُصِيبُ بِكِ مَنْ أَشَاءَ وَلِكُلِّ وَاحِدَةٍ مِنْكُمَا مِلْؤُهَا قَالْ فَأَمَّا الْجَنَّةِ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَظْلِمُ مِنْ خَلْقِهِ أَحَدًا 
وَأَنَّهُ يُنْشِئُ لِلنَّارِ مَنْ يَشَاءُ Now here there is an issue in the narration where it mentions that as for paradise, then Allah will not oppress anyone in it. And as for the hellfire, then Allah creates a people to place in it. Any comments regarding that? So remember there was a narration before. We came across it once, maybe in Wasatiyah, maybe afterwards, about when the paradise, it's full. All of the people that are going to go into paradise are in. But once all of the people who are going to go into paradise are in, there is still some space. So then what happens? Allah creates a people there and then and enters them into that space. But the narration says, as for the hellfire, then Allah will create whom He wills to place in it. Isn't that for paradise? It is. This is one of the sciences of hadith this is what they call the Aqalb uh, uh, or Munqalb. That here it is an example of where the narration has been uh, twisted or said the wrong way around. The narrator said it the wrong way around by accident. And that happens sometimes in the narrations. That a narrator accidentally may say things swapped the wrong way around by accident. And that is what happened here. The narrator actually meant to say, as for the hellfire, then Allah will not oppress anyone in it. Meaning the people who enter the hellfire are the ones who are absolutely deserving of entering the hellfire. Nobody is oppressed. And as for the paradise, then Allah will create those who enter it. Even after those who deserve to go into it have gone into it, there is space that remains. Allah creates a people and enters them into that paradise. So this is an example of a narration where the narrator has accidentally swapped around the words. So the scholars, they mention these things. In the sciences of hadith, when they're examining the hadith and checking the hadith, these types of things they highlight and they bring about. And this is one of the sciences of hadith, this topic of working out and recognizing if something has accidentally been flipped, if something has accidentally been swapped, the words have been mixed up. So that is an example of it occurring in this narration. And we've already come across the rest of the points regarding Allah then placing his foot in the fire and then the fire says enough, enough and it becomes full. But the point that we want to discuss here is regarding the fact that Allah says regarding the paradise that the paradise is Allah's mercy. So all of this in reality it is an affirmation it is an affirmation of the attribute of Allah of mercy. 
But Allah is the merciful. And what's an easy example to remember for that? The mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Now what's next? Don't know? If somebody else says it first, they win. Whoever says it first wins. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. What's your name? Abdullah won. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. What is that indicating? The Rahmah, the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is the point and that is the chapter here to affirm the attribute of Allah of mercy. There is one more hadith here. قال حدثنا حفص بن عمر قال حدثنا هشام عن قتاده عن أنس رضي الله عنه عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال ليصيبن أقواما صفع من النار بذنوب أصابوها عقوبة ثم يدخلهم الله الجنة بفضل رحمته يقال, يقال لهم الجهنميون وقال همام حدثنا قتادا قال حدثنا أنس عن نمسى سلم This narration again highlighting this point of the rahma of Allah This is an example of this hadith being only a section of the full actual hadith This is only a section of the full hadith uh, the hadith itself is much longer, the hadith of Abu Sa'id, but it mentions in this narration about how some people are going to be uh, uh, touched by the fire, they will have some punishment by the fire, but then Allah will enter them into paradise by His mercy afterwards. They will be removed and entered into the paradise, and they will be known as the Jahannamiyun, those who were first uh, impacted by the fire, and then they were placed into a paradise by the mercy of Allah. There are other narrations as well regarding the mercy of Allah. There's the famous hadith about the shafa'ah on the day of judgment. When Allah says, now the prophets have made their intercession, the people, the believers have made their intercession, the angels have made their intercession, now nothing remains except... Nothing remains except what? Page. Nothing remains except the mercy of Allah. Nothing remains except the mercy of the most merciful. What page is it? the page we're on right now. Hmm. So this chapter then, it was for the purpose of affirming the attribute of Allah of mercy. The people of innovation, like we said, they always misinterpret and distort. So they begin to say the mercy of Allah isn't the attribute of the mercy of Allah. It just means the reward of Allah that Allah is going to reward the people but then you think to yourself 
even from a very simplistic point of view. Why would the people of innovation go to such lengths to reject the attribute of Allah of mercy? It is just like the previous chapter where they reject seeing Allah. And that's why some of the scholars and the people of knowledge, they say, when you make the dua asking Allah that you be from those who are blessed with seeing Him in the hereafter, then you know that all of those people of innovation, they are not competing with you in that dua. All of those people of innovation, they will not be competing with you in making that dua to Allah. Because they don't believe in seeing Allah in the first place. And so now you have again the people of innovation making their misinterpretations and deviations when it comes to the attributes of Allah and rejecting the clear meanings of those attributes and the apparent of those attributes. Then we move on to the next chapter. Ba'ad qawlillahi ta'ala إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُمْسِكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ أَنْ تَزُولًا قال حدثنا موسى قال حدثنا أبو عوانا عن الأعمش عن إبراهيم عن علقمة عن عبد الله قال جاء حبر إلى رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم فقال يا محمد إن الله يضع السماء على أصبع والأرض على أصبع والجبال على أصبع والشجر والأنهار على أصبع وسائر الخلق على أصبع ثم يقول بيده أنا الملك فضحك رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وقال ما وما قدر الله حق قدره. This famous narration again, the hadith where it mentions that a rabbi came to the messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم and said to him. O Muhammad, Allah will place the heavens upon a finger and the earth upon a finger and the mountains upon a finger and the trees and the rivers upon a finger and all of the rest of the creation upon a finger. And then he will say that I am the king. So this Jew came to the Prophet ﷺ with this statement. That Allah will place all of these creations upon his fingers. The Prophet ﷺ when he heard that, ضحكة. He laughed. He laughed when he heard that. And then said, recited the ayah, وَمَا قَدَرُ اللَّهَ حَقَّ قَدْرِهِ that they have not given Allah his due right. They have not given Allah his due status and right. So this chapter then, the hadith there as you've seen it, essentially the Prophet ﷺ was affirming the statement of the Jew that Allah will roll up the heavens and the earths upon his fingers on that day. That is authentic. So that was affirmed with the laughter to this man. But then the Prophet ﷺ highlighted their station that they do not give Allah his due right. They do not give Allah his due right though. So in this chapter it says regarding how Allah will grasp the heavens and the earth in his hand on that day. Allah will grasp the heavens and the earth 
upon his hands on that day. وَالْأَرْضُ جَمِيعًا قَبْضَتُهُ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ وَالسَّمَاوَاتُ مَطْوِيَاتٌ بِيَمِينِهِ That all of the earth will be in his grasp on that day, and the heavens will be rolled up in his right hand. And in the other hand, وَيُمْسِكُ السَّمَاءَ أَنْ تَقَعَ عَلَى الْأَرْضِ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِهِ And he grasps the skies lest it should fall upon the earth. And similarly, يُمْسِكُ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضَ أَنْ تَزُولَا That he grasps the heavens and the earth. So all of these narrations, all of these ayat in fact, they are talking about how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grasp the heavens and the earths in his hands on that day, upon his fingers that day. And all of this is in line with what we've studied already. We came across the chapter regarding the throne of Allah. The throne of Allah, the size comparison of that was what? So the footstool of Allah compared to the throne of Allah is like a ring in a vast desert. And then that ring, that footstool compared to all of this creation is so now that footstool becomes the vast desert and we become that tiny ring we are like a tiny ring in a vast desert all of this creation compared to the footstool of Allah but then the footstool compared to the throne of Allah is like a tiny ring in a vast desert. So what therefore of all of this creation compared to the throne of Allah, not even a ring in a vast desert, tinier than that. Tinier and tinier than that. But then on top of all of that, Allah is the mighty and majestic, greater than all of his creation. So now, that indicates to you the might and majesty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he will grasp all of the heavens and the earths and roll them up in his hands on that day in the narration here now mas'ala hadith Abi Sa'id al-Khudri alladhi yatahaddathu fihi al-Nabiyu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam an ru'yati Allah azza wa jal fi al-mawqif yaqul fayatihim al-jabbaru fi suratih wa hiya suratuhu allati jaahum fi awwali marra mata hadhi al-marra الجواب الظاهر أنها في المحشر. Here then the Sheikh he speaks about a separate side issue regarding them seeing Allah. But then after that it comes on to this topic of the laughter. ألا يدل فعل الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم فضحك ثم قوله على ترتيب الاعتقاد قبل أن قرأ أي تقديم الاعتقاد قبل القراءة لأن فعل الرسول صلى الله عليه وسلم قدم فعله قبل قراءتي الجواب الرسول أخبره أنه لما جاءه الحبر وقال إننا نجد في التوراة يجعل الله السماء على إصبع والأراضين على إصبع إلى آخر ضحك تصديقا لقوله ثم قرأ استدلالا لقوله وما قدر الله حق قدره 
So in this narration, what had happened was that a Jew had come to the Prophet ﷺ and told him that in the Torah, we find these narrations that Allah will take the heavens upon a finger and the earth upon a finger, etc. That narration then that he came with from the Torah, the Prophet ﷺ laughed when he heard that. In affirmation of its authenticity that this is correct this will occur and then the Prophet ﷺ quoted the ayah that they have not given Allah his due right in order to emphasize the greatness and the might and the majesty of Allah that the Jews in particular despite knowing this in the Torah have not given Allah his due right and the people generally who have not given Allah his due right despite knowing that he will roll up the heavens and the earths in his hands upon his fingers on that day. So what is the point of emphasis in this chapter then? What is being highlighted in this chapter? It is beyond that now. The mercy of Allah, but here it is referring to more of the attributes of Allah. We've already covered them before in the chapter, the main chapter regarding the hands of Allah and the various attributes of Allah. It also affirms as a side point that previously, of course, the Torah and the Injil and the books that were revealed were revelation from Allah. They are all kalamullah, all of them were the speech of Allah. But they were distorted and changed afterwards. But this particular point that the Jew came with on this occasion was a point that had remained upon authenticity. Then after that, بَعْدْ مَا جَاءَ فِي تَخْلِيقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَغَيْرِهَا مِنَ الْخَلَائِقِ وَهُوَ فِعْلُ الرَّبِّ تَبَارَكَ وَتَعَالَى وَأَمْرُهُ فَالرَّبُّ بِصِفَاتِهِ وَفِعْلِهِ وَأَمْرِهِ وهو الخالق هو المكون غير مخلوق وما كان بفعله وأمره وتخليقه وتكوينه فهو مفعول مخلوق مكون This now is talking about the aspect of creation that Allah created the heavens and the earths and all of the creation so when Imam al-Bukhari says, بَعْدْ مَا جَاءَ فِي تَخْلِيقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ تَخْلِيقِ مَصْدَرُ خَلَّقَ وَخَلْقُ السَّمَاوَاتِ مَصْدَرُ خَلَقَ وَوَرَدَ فِي نُسْخَ أُخْرَى فَيَجُوزُ خَلْقُ وَتَخْلِيقِ So this is now talking about the creation of the heavens and the earth and other than them from the creations of Allah. We know in the very basics of Tawheed al-Rububiyyah. And what is Tawheed al-Rububiyyah? Who can explain Tawheed al-Rububiyyah in a nutshell? Because this now is in direct relation to Tawheed al-Rububiyyah. That Allah is the creator and what? 
and sustainer of all that exists. What is a simple one-line definition that we always quote for the definition of al-rububiyyah? To single out Allah in regards to His actions. To make Allah single and unique in His actions. What are His actions? Creation, sustaining, providing, controlling, giving life and death, creation. All of these are the actions of Allah. And so we single out Allah with those actions. Affirm that Allah is the creator, nobody else. Allah is the provider, nobody else. Allah is the one who gives life and death, nobody else. Allah is the one who controls the universe, nobody else. That is an affirmation of those actions purely to Allah. That is the Lordship of Allah. So this chapter is talking about the rububiyyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Allah is the creator, the provider, the sustainer of all of that which exists in creation. We already learned as well that the mushrikun at the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam did they believe in this rububiyyah or not? They believed in it. So the kuffar the mushrikun at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the ones that the Prophet ﷺ fought against, they used to believe that Allah is the creator, and that Allah is the provider, that Allah is the sustainer, that Allah gives life and death, that Allah provides, Allah controls. They believed in all of that. But if they believed in all of that, then why were they not Muslims? Why did the Prophet ﷺ still fight against them? Because they didn't believe in the other parts of Tawheed, Al-Uluhiyyah, which is to single out Allah with our actions, all of our worship. They did not single out Allah with worship. Rather, they committed shirk in their worship. وَمِنَ النَّاسِ مَنْ يَتَّخِذُ مِنْ دُونِ اللَّهِ أَنْدَادًا يُحِبُّونَهُمْ كَحِبِّ اللَّهِ there are those who take partners alongside Allah and they love them as they love Allah. So we know that they were not upon Tawheed. Al-Rububiyyah alone does not make a person Muslim. So if they believed in the Rububiyyah, but it was the Uluhiyyah that was the issue, then why did Allah speak about Rububiyyah so much in the Quran? When they already believed in that anyway, it's not the most important. The most important would be that we have to make sure we only worship Allah alone. And that's what it revolves around. But why did Allah mention Ar-Rububiyyah in the Quran so often if the Mushrikun agreed with that anyway and it was the Uluhiyyah that they wouldn't do? Because al-rububiyyah, it necessitates al-uluhiyyah, meaning if the mushrikun accepted al-rububiyyah, then that becomes an evidence against them for not accepting al-uluhiyyah. Because somebody who accepts al-rububiyyah, by necessity, is supposed to have to accept al-uluhiyyah. 
If you believe Allah is the only creator, only provider, only sustainer, only one who gives life and death, then the only one you should be worshipped is Allah. How can you believe in all of those things but still go and worship others besides Allah? Your acceptance of Ar-Rububiyyah becomes an evidence against you. And that is why Allah mentioned the Rububiyyah in the Quran so often. So here it talks about the issues of creation, talks about everything that has been fashioned by Allah, everything that has been created by Allah, and this is essentially revolving around the topic of Allah being a Rabb, being the one with the Rububiyyah. And what's an evidence for that in case somebody asks you, what is an evidence for the Rububiyyah of Allah? Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen In the Fatiha at the beginning you are affirming the Rububiyyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala If you move on to the next narration it says قال حدثنا سعيد بن أبي مريم قال أخبرنا محمد بن جعفر قال أخبرني شريك ابن عبد الله ابن أبي النمر عن كريب عن ابن عباس قال بت في بيت ميمونة ليلة والنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم عندها لأنظر كيف صلاة رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بالليل ابن عباس says and he was young at the time he says I slept in the house of ميمونة one night and the Prophet was there that night too because I wanted to see how does the Prophet pray the night prayer. So he said I was there that night because I wanted to observe how does the Prophet pray the night prayer. And these are the types of examples the scholars they mention all the time to show you look at the level of the striving of the Sahaba. Look at the level of enthusiasm and zeal of the Sahaba to learn the Sunnah, to learn the practice of the religion. He says he went and slept there for the purpose and objective of being able to see that night how the Prophet ﷺ prays the night prayer. فَتَحَدَّثَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ أَهْلِهِ so he mentions that the Prophet ﷺ was talking with his family for a while and then he lay down. So when it was the last third of the night or a section of the night, he arose, he sat up and he looked at the sky and he recited, إِنَّ فِي خَلْقِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ to the statement لِأُولِ الْأَلْبَابِ ثُمَّ قَامَ فَتَوَضَّأَ وَاسْتَنَّ ثُمَّ صَلَّى إِحْدَى عَشَرَةَ رَكَعَةً ثُمَّ أَذَّنَ بِلَالٌ بِالصَّلَاةِ فَصَلَّى رَكَعَتَيْنِ ثُمَّ خَرَجَ فَصَلَّى لِلنَّاسِ الصُّبْحِ So he got up and he recited that ayah. Then after that he went and he made wudu. ثُمَّ قَامَ He got up فَتَوَضَّأَ He made the wudu and this is in the last third of the night or thereof وَاسْتَنَّ What does that mean? 
How do you know it means brush those teeth? Because you got the English translation in front of you. Wastanna. Istanna, the verb in Arabic, it can have different meanings. One of them is to use the sirak. To use the sirak. So he got up, he made wudu, he used the sirak, and then he prayed 11 raka'at. Then after that, Bilal made the adhan, and so he prayed two raka'at, and then he exited the home and went and led the people in the Fajr prayer. So in this case, in this story, we see that Ibn Abbas slept in the house of Maymuna because he wanted to see how the Prophet ﷺ prayed the night prayer. What is the connection between Ibn Abbas and Maymuna in the first place? Anhum. It was his auntie, Maymuna was the sister of Ibn Abbas's mother. So it was his auntie. And Ibn Abbas was an intelligent, smart individual. Keen and enthusiastic and with zeal for knowledge. حَتَّى إِنَّهُ كَانَ يَأْتِي إِلَى الرَّجُلِ مِنْ أَصْحَابِ الرَّسُولِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ فِي الْقَيْلُولَ وَيَضَعُ رِدَاءَهُ يَتَوَسَّدُهُ يَنَامُ عَلَى العتبة حَتَّى يَخْرُجْ صَاحِبُ الْبَيْتِ وَيَقُولْ حَدِّثْنِي عَنْ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ فَيَقُولْ يَبْنَ عَمِّ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ لِمَاذَ لَمْ تُقِمْنِي قَالْ أَنَا صَاحِبُ الْحَاجَةِ Ibn Abbas used to strive for knowledge striving for knowledge to the extent it is mentioned that he would go to the one of the companions at the time of the Qaylula the siesta, the midday nap he would go to them at that time and of course at that time that person would be taking the midday nap so when Ibn Abbas would arrive it's mentioned he would uh, lay down his cloth and make it like a pillow and sleep there at the door of that companion lie down and sleep there at the door of that companion take the nap, the midday nap uh, as it was that time until that companion would then exit from the house and see Ibn Abbas and then Ibn Abbas would say to him narrate to me that narration from the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam narrate to me this hadith, that hadith etc and so the person would say oh son of the uncle of the messenger why did you not wake me up why didn't you just get me up I am a person of need. He would say, I am a person of need. In this reference, meaning I am in need of this knowledge. I am in need of these narrations. He wanted that knowledge from them. But the point being how it mentions, he would go at their doorstep and wait. And this is mentioned about the Salaf a lot. How they would go to the doorsteps of the scholars. And they would knock and they would wait at the doorsteps. Just wait and wait and wait until that alim would come out from his doorstep and then they would seek that knowledge or that narration or that hadith 
whatever it was that they required from him. The knowledge and the understanding of Ibn Abbas is well known. So he wanted to know how does the Prophet interact with his family? What are the behaviors and the mannerisms of the Prophet with his family, his wife, and also, which was his auntie, and also how does the Prophet pray the night prayer? So, it's mentioned that on that night, Ibn Abbas went in to the house of his auntie Maymuna after the Isha prayer. Or rather, that the Prophet came in after the Isha prayer and he began talking with his family for a while. Uh, and the hadith mentions Sa'a, but Sa'a in Arabic doesn't just mean one hour, 60 minutes. It is a term that is more general than that. A period of time. So he uh, spoke with his family for a period of time. And then after that, uh, the Prophet ﷺ lay down. We know that the general sunnah is after Isha. You're not supposed to talk and sit around engaging in conversation and talking. That shouldn't be done after Isha. In the Sunnah, it shouldn't be done. Generally talking and relaxing after Isha. فَيَكُونُ هَذَا الْحَدِيثَ الَّذِي تَحَدَّثَ بِهِ حَدِيثًا يَحْصُلُ بِهِ الْإِنَاسُ لِلْأَهَلِ So this example of him doing so after Isha would be an example of that an example of the, the good relations and the compassion and the, the love of the Prophet ﷺ to his wife that after Isha he sought to speak with her for a while some uh, talk or speech or conversation that is good for the heart some general talk and conversation of that nature to bring that love and goodness between them that is all this is an example of and that is the reason why he did that. And that's based upon the narration. The best of you are the ones who are best to their families, to their wives. And that is something of importance to recognize also. Something of importance to recognize and to realize the behavior that is required between the spouses and in particular of the husband towards the wife it's a misconception that the brothers may have that in their households they are the man of the household and therefore they should not have to do anything or not participate in anything and not give any sort of help or any type of participation around the home for example that is not a requirement whatsoever. In fact, the Shaykh Al-Faymeen, Rahimahullah Ta'ala, he mentioned, it is from the good manners and the characteristics of a man that he helps around the house, that he offers to do some of the chores, that he offers to help to do with this or with that. And that is the goodness of the character 
of a husband to his family. It is not, as the people may think, uh, a humiliation or a degradation that I have to go and move the duvet, that I have to go and move the pillow. That's not my job. It is not that way. As Sheikh Al-Hamini said, it is from the good manners of a husband that he participates and offers this help and offers this uh, participation around the house and that is something which will bring a good feeling between him and his wife and it will bring goodness and love between them and there is no harm at all in him doing that there is no there should be no misunderstanding that a husband thinks that's incorrect and against the sunnah for me to do that not at all that is from the goodness that brings about goodness between the husband and the wife so now that is something that a shaykh al-Uthaymi mentioned that husband should participate where he can where he is able where there is time to bring that goodness between himself and his wife so now the evidence has been established and you'll know what to expect when you get home now so then after that it goes on to speak about وَمَعْلُومٌ أَنَّ الرَّجُلَ لَوْ جَاءَ إِلَىٰ أَهْلِهِ وَدَخَلَ عَلَيْهِمْ ثُمَّ صَرَفَ إِلَىٰ الْفِرَاشِ وَنَامُ الْمَرْأَةُ نَامَتْ فَمَاذَا يَكُونُ مِنَ الْأُلْفَةِ لَا شَيْءٍ The Sheikh says Imagine now in the scenario that a man comes home and just goes off, does his thing and goes to sleep and his wife just goes to sleep there is no conversation or talk between them he just comes home puts his coat down back down upstairs brush teeth in bed then the sheikh says imagine what what does that do for the love between them nothing it doesn't bring any goodness in fact it brings a decrease and a harm doesn't bring any goodness if you behave in that way if you behave in that cold way so the Shaykh, Shaykh al-Uthaymin here mentions that is not something good rather that would be a means that leads to the cutting off it leads to the breakdown in relations if you behave in that cold manner with each other وَلَكِنْ إِذَا تَحَدَّثَ مَعَ أَهْلِهِ سَاعَةً يُؤْنِسُهُمْ but if he speaks with his family for a while يُؤْنِسُهُمْ um, what's the word in English? That he speaks to them for a while to bring about the good feeling between himself and his wife, to bring about that compassion and love between himself and his wife, to bring about the good relation between himself and his wife. That is the meaning of it. Uh, and so it brings the happiness between them. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That is from the guidance of the Prophet. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. That a man he comes home after he's been doing what he's been doing and doesn't come home with a cold attitude, but he comes home comes home with warmth and comes home with an open uh, 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 an open approach and talking and in conversation with his wife and smiling and that is the way that it should be and that is from the guidance of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa doing so. 
So then after that it mentions in the narration he lay down and then when it was the last third of the night or the last half of the night he got up and then he recited inna rabbaka ya'lamu annaka taqumu adna min thulufi illayl wa nisfahu wa thulufa or rather this is the ayah that highlights that he would get up in the last third or in the last half and that would depend upon the energy levels of the Prophet ﷺ or uh, depending on his activity whether he would become or uh, whether he would arise in the last half or in the last third but the fact is he would then arise in that portion of the night and when he would arise in that portion of the night he would then recite the ayah as it was mentioned and then after that he would get up and make the wudu and brush the teeth or use the siwak as we say use the siwak upon the teeth and then he would pray 11 raka'at here we see then the sunnah of using the siwak when you awaken and that is one of the times when it is sunnah to use the siwak when you awaken to use that upon awakening is a sunnah and that is what the Prophet ﷺ used to do. That he would use it upon awakening. And it's mentioned in the hadith of Hudayfa that he used to do that also. وَاسْتُدِلَّ بِهَذَا الْحَدِيثِ عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْقُرْآنِ يَجُوزُ لِغَيْرِ الْمُتَوَضِّئِ Here the Prophet ﷺ was reciting the Qur'an before he had got up and made so the scholars use this as an evidence that it is permissible to recite the Quran not being upon a state of but then the shaykh he says this may not necessarily be the case because we know about the sleep of the Prophet that it wouldn't break his wudu there is the narration about how it says تَنَامُ عَيْنَاهُ وَلَا يَنَامُ قَلْبُهُ That his eyes would sleep but his heart was not asleep. That is mentioned specifically of the Prophet ﷺ. So some of the scholars may say it is not an evidence in that nature. So after he would then pray those 11 raka'at then it would come into the time of Fajr and so Bilal would then make the Adhan and so the Prophet ﷺ would pray the two sunnah of Fajr and then he would go out and pray the uh, fard of Fajr. This therefore also indicates to you the sunnah of praying the rawatib, the sunnah prayers in your homes as the Prophet ﷺ did. And then he would go out and pray the fard in the masjid وَأَنَّهُ إِذَا دَخَلَ الْمَسْجِدُ أُقِيمَةِ الصَّلَاةِ وَهَذَا فِي الصَّلَوَاتِ الْخَمْسِ أَمَّا فِي الْجُمْعَةِ فَهُوَ أَوْكَدْ وَبِهِ نَعْرِفْ أَنَّ مَا يَفْعَلُهُ بَعْضُ الْأَئِمَّ مِنَ التَّقَدُّمْ يَوْمَ الْجُمْعَةِ وَالصَّلَاةِ وَالْجُلُوسِ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَ وَقْتُ خُرُوجِ الْإِمَامِ ثُمَّ يَقُومُ فَيَسْعِدُ الْمِنْبَرْ أَنَّ هذا خلاف السنة. When the Prophet used to walk into the mosque, he used to walk in at the time of the prayer. So that when he walked in, the iqama would be done instantly. And this in particular is important on Jumu'ah. The Shaykh says it is a sunnah, the way of the sunnah, 
that the khatib on the Friday prayer should walk in at the time for the khutbah to begin. Not that he should come in early, pray to here to the masjid, sit down here in the mosque, office, etc. Shouldn't do that. And then when the time comes, finally comes onto the member, that is in opposition to the way the Prophet used to do it, the Shaykh says. Rather, the Imam should come in at the time, that's when he should enter, and then he comes straight away upon the member and it begins straight away. Rather than coming in, praying, sitting down, waiting, then at the time coming up to the member. So this is from the guidance of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam also. فهو يريد أن يحصل على أجر التقدم لجمعة فنقول له أجر اتباع السنة أكثر من أجر التقدم That Imam may say but there are so many narrations about coming early to the Jumu'ah prayer and I want to apply those narrations to myself too I want to come early to the Jumu'ah just like all of the rest of the people and have all of those rewards for coming early on the Jumu'ah too but then we say to him upon the principle that we learnt at the end of Sifatu Salat al-Nabi the Prophet's prayer described was that the book before this one? before that one so maybe four years ago three years ago what was the principle? there were two principles in a chapter at the end of the book two principles about the Sunnah so now that we've studied the book, what were those two principles? Or at least one of them that applies here. The Imam is now saying, I want to come on Jum'ah early to get the reward of all of those narrations that talk about coming to the mosque early. I want to get all those rewards too. So I'm going to come early pray to hit al masjid then I'll go sit upstairs at the back anywhere and then when it's time I'll come up onto the member why can't I do that so the principle was in those kinds of situations following the sunnah as it's prescribed is superior to trying to do multiple other acts of the sunnah it's like the example of the people who go to uh, Umrah and when they go to Umrah they're there for a week and they end up doing 12 Umrahs in that one week twice a day out to Masjid Aisha as they say Tan'im doing an Umrah every day 7 Umrahs MashaAllah in one week in opposition to the Sunnah that is not in the Sunnah to go out to Masjid Aisha every day and make Umrah so now it would be better for that person to do the one Umrah and then make dua, make tawaf, do other things rather than going and trying to do 10 umrahs in that one trip. Same here. Instead of the imam coming to try to implement all of those narrations, it is better for him to implement the way of the Prophet ﷺ in relation to the imam for Fridays, which is that he would only come in at the time of the prayer to begin or the khutbah to begin. So in this case, it is not a case of this man the khatib losing those rewards he is gaining this reward of practicing the sunnah as the prophet did and a very similar example to that would be women when they go to umrah so now you take your family to umrah 
and there's a thousand times more reward for the prayer in al-masjid al-nabawi a hundred thousand times more in the haram of mecca you take your families out there your wives your daughters your sisters your mothers and when you get there you're gonna go and pray in the mosque of course but your wives and all of the women folk with you is it better for them to stay in the hotel and pray or is it better for them to go out to the haram and pray in terms of the reward haram the hotel so when it comes to the time of the prayer you have to go so where are they supposed to pray in the hotel, in the hotel so they can stay in the hotel without having to go into the sun 40 degrees they can stay in the AC and they can pray there but will they get more reward for that or for going to the haram hotel because the rule is that the best prayer of the women is in there in their house even in Mecca and Medina when that narration was narrated when that hadith was narrated by the Prophet where was he when he narrated it who was he talking to the Sahabiyat the companions telling them that the best prayer for the women is in their homes and they were right there next to Al-Masjid Nabawi right there living in Mecca next to the Haram so that would be an example that doesn't mean though that the women shouldn't go to Al-Masjid Nabawi and the Haram when they go of course you go because there are other benefits and there are other uh, aspects to that too of course it would help and aid for the Iman of the sisters also that they want to go in to the haram and they want to go into al-masjid al-nabawi of course you do that but even then you could go in there at alternative times and still pray your prayers in the hotel possible and if you went and prayed in the jama'ah there absolutely good nothing wrong with that because the narration says la tamna'u ima allahi masajid allah do not prevent the women servants of allah from going to the mosques so that is all permissible but if they prayed in the hotel if they said to you you go the 45 degrees you go i'm staying here then that's absolutely good and it's absolutely fine so practicing the sunnah has superiority over trying to do other things excessively that may not be from the sunnah that's where we're going to round off for today next week we'll begin with the next chapter um, so next week it will be 8 p.m. what time is Isha next week? 9.15 will be the Isha prayer so next week the lesson will be 8 p.m. 8 p.m. Everybody casually strolls in at 8.20, 8.25 as we're used to for the last few months. But now next week, 8 p.m. Yeah, so you got to come at 8 p.m. next week, inshallah. We're going to start 
as close as possible to 8 p.m. Today, I think we started 5 past 8 or something. So 8 p.m. inshallah next week. Don't stroll in late now at 28, 25. Those days are gone. Winter is here now. Times are going to change. Next week, 8 p.m. Come earlier inshallah so we can begin at the earlier time and finish before Isha inshallah ta'ala. Have some brothers been traveling from Stoke to Rochdale and then here tonight as well? MashaAllah, excellent. This is the way. This is excellent. Rochdale began today the classes there for the three fundamental principles. It was a good beginning. Brothers here from Manchester were there. Other people were there too. But this is what's required. Striving for knowledge. Even for the ones who know it. For the brothers and sisters, MashaAllah, who are superior. And they know all of this knowledge and they know these are hadith and they know all of these topics and they know all of these books it is something good in these small communities that we have and they are small this isn't huge a hundred people it's a small community it's not thousands and thousands it is suitable to go to those gatherings of knowledge even if you know it and you are superior to the teacher go for the sake of the unity and the brotherhood go for the sake of sitting together in those classes in supporting the community, aiding the community. So that is something good. And it is something which will help develop and strengthen the brotherhood and the unity and the development of the communities, inshallah ta'ala. So we'll conclude upon that for today, next week, 8 p.m., inshallah ta'ala.